How's it going? And welcome to episode 147 of On The Wire. Proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at On The Wire Pod. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me at 80 grade. That's all spelled out. And Kevin Hastings is at Hastings Kevin on the Twitter. We are less than a week away from PitchCon, Kev. Um, that's exciting, and especially since Nick just announced that we are going to add at least one more day to to the festivities, adding a whole nother slew of presentations, a whole nother slew of uh, uh, live podcasts, a whole whole bunch of stuff. Um, I'm pumped. Are you uh, are you set to participate? Uh, I believe so. All ready to go, and um, I think I have it worked out. So. Nobody, as in my wife, will question why I don't have anything scheduled for five straight days. I, <laughs> I think I have that all ready to go. Yeah, I could not, I could not pull that off. <laughs> I will be, I will be putting as much time as I can aside. Uh, but I definitely couldn't do a straight uh, twenty-four, you know, or eight eight hours a day for five days straight. Um, you know, in my calendar as just like blocked out for no. No apparent reason. Um, I couldn't get away with that. So far, it's no apparent reason. I haven't been asked yet. So. Okay. <laughs> That's all it takes. As long as, you know, it's not lying if you don't ask. <laughs> right. <laughs> and not that you would have to lie at that point, but, you know, you know, fudge, fudge the truth a little bit, probably. Um, yeah, exactly. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. It's going to be yeah. fun. Yeah, it's going to be great. Uh, there's going to be a lot of updates, a lot of a lot of cool stuff going on. Um, one of those updates that is set to come out uh, this week, probably during PitchCon, are the updates to the PLV projections. So, of course, we had to have Kyle Bland on here, the director of analytics and the creator of, honestly, some of the prettiest uh data graphics that i've seen in a long time in this sphere uh on the show with us to talk about that uh you should follow kyle at at blandalytics on the twitter uh you can more importantly pull his ear as much as you want in the pitcherless discord so you, you can't get that until unless you get pl plus or pl pro so there's my plug there as well it won't be the last time i plug that to this show uh but honestly we you know kyle you're like me you, you see, you have your moments on Twitter, but it, you seem like you, you you kind of own the Discord uh, conversation more so than than the than the Twitter sphere. So, uh, if you want to talk to Kyle, that's the best place to do it. Uh, get a uh, get in there, and uh, well, you know what? Let's talk to you right now, Kyle. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. I know you're busy, and we got PitchCon coming up. I know you'll be presenting there as well. How you doing? Yeah. Hey guys. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, super excited to do the pod. Yeah. Really excited for PitchCon coming up. I've got a talk on some of the cool new stats that we're going to be putting on the site for the, the new, uh, for the new season. And then <clears throat> just found out today, I think I'm going to be on a panel, um, talking through projections with, with some other people. And yeah, like, uh, like Kevin was saying, I've, conveniently freed up a lot of that time so I, i've reached out to like miles and nick and she's like hey like same thing like i'll be watching all of it and so if you need me to hop on a panel or something too i'm, I'm more than happy to be a part of it so you know you might be seeing a lot of me so i hope uh, <laughs> hope the mic sounds good i hope the 
the camera looks good. There we go. Yeah. You know, you get the, get the setup right and you could just keep going in and out, in and out. Every other, every other podcast or every other uh, panel will just yeah. see Kyle, you know, jumping in for no reason. Um, and it will never be for no reason because Kyle brings <laughs> so much to the table. Uh, I mean, Kyle, you helped me so much in putting together the uh, the stolen base metrics that I've been working on for for so long between Bragg and SBI and and SBOT and all, all those other ones. So I will give you a this is the first time I've actually been able to look at you in the eye and thank you for all the help you've given me. <laughs> uh, so I, I appreciate that opportunity to do that as well. Um, Dude, yeah, of course. Yeah, looking forward to seeing all the new toys, bells and whistles as part of PLX. So uh, it sounds like we'll get a nice little preview of that uh, at PitchCon with uh, Kyle going over those. So I won't spoil it here. You got to tune in to PitchCon to get that. We'll talk plenty of bells and whistles when we get into our PLV projection discourse discussion here. Uh, but we do have a bunch of... Uh, more news than I thought we were going to going into today as we had two um, decently uh, big pieces of news come through just today. So we'll get some of the older stuff first uh, as we we saw some stuff happen between recordings um, that you've probably heard discussion on elsewhere, but let's get our take here. Uh, Kevin, I'm going to start with you. The, the trade that went through pretty much right after uh, we recorded last week, uh, the Cubs traded for Michael Bush and relief pitcher Yanzi Almonte uh, from the Dodgers. Is this just a classic like free Michael Bush situation where you know every everybody who liked Michael Bush wanted to see him actually get an opportunity? with the Dodgers and you're like, Oh no, fi- finally they're going to, he's going to a team where there's po- at least more opportunity than he had with the Dodgers. I mean, it wasn't quite Edward Olivares <laughs> situation when he was with the Dodgers, but he, it definitely wasn't up and down. Here's a little piece. Now come on back. There's a little piece. Uh, w- what's your uh, expectation w- now that he's with a new team, especially with uh, specifically with the Cubs? I really do not know what to make of all this. Um, I I think it lets us know that the Cubs aren't confident in Christopher Morrell, at least not nearly as confident as a lot of the Cubs fan base is. Uh, I think it could be issues there. It could mean that Christopher Morrell uh, is playing every day and Michael Bush doesn't work into the lineup very often. Uh, Roster Resource has them both in the lineup versus right-handed starting pitching. Uh, And I think that's what most of us expect, at least to start out. But, I mean, that's not accounting for uh, Patrick Wisdom getting in the lineup versus lefties if he's still on the team. This doesn't have anything uh, to do with Alexander Canario if and when he gets brought up. I mean, things are crowded here in this Cubs and Cubs lineup. And this is without Cody Bellinger as well, who has yet to sign. I think many of us believe there's a pretty good chance the longer this goes that he's going back to Chicago. And then that's just going to really uh, mess with this lineup, even more so than it already is. So, so far, I have more questions than answers with, with the Cubs lineup since this trade has been made. Hopefully, hopefully you or, or Kyle has got some 
can shine some light on this because so far I'm downgrading both Michael Bush and Christopher Morell, and I'm not sure where I'm going from there. Oh, not to mention you have Matt Mervis, who we were all talking about this time last year, like as much as we possibly could, um, with the expectation that you know he would be slotting in as the everyday first baseman for the Cubs before they actually you know made some signings and you know it didn't all work out. Uh, the, the corner spots in Chicago are, as you mentioned, just just a little crowded. Obviously, the middle infield's pretty set. I mean, nothing's going to really happen there. Uh, Kyle, like, how does a move like this, and this is going to be the theme of everything I follow up with, how does a move like this adjust? How, what kind of adjustments do you make as far as like playing time or, or uh, uh, expectations when you're, you, you know, you're finalizing these projections? Um, and this, gets, this is a blanket question for any projection system, but I've got you in front of me, so I'll ask you how you do with yours. Yeah. So as far as like, we'll we'll start with like the rate stats. So basically your non-plate appearance at bat stats, and those aren't going to change too much. I take a little bit into account as far as like what the rest of the lineups like in terms of like, our, uh, sorry, runs, RBIs. And then, you know, depending on the park that might affect some of his batted ball stuff, but that's not going to be a huge change unless, you know, they're going to or from course kind of thing. As far as uh, uh, playing time, my process, part of it is I project like a lineup spot based on how I see their skills. So like bat to ball, ISO, walk right, that kind of thing. And I project a lineup spot for them. And then I can base plate appearances that way. So, you know, if you're hitting second in the lineup for a team that has this good of a lineup, you know, that's going to be X amount of plate appearances a game on average. And so that's usually how I'll do it. Um, and then kind of where the, the trickier part comes in, especially for like really crowded or high variance positions like this, where like, you know, maybe they split third base, maybe, you know, it's a fight in spring training and then one guy runs away with it. So stuff like that is, it's a little bit more up to me as far as the game projections like i have a baseline based on like you know what they did last year health things like that but then i can put my thumb on the scales a little bit to be like actually it looks like he's going to be you know taking this spot in spring training or like oh they traded this guy or they signed this guy so there's a little bit of art to the science behind it but yeah i start with a baseline kind of idea and then go from there so i'm not just pulling a number just out of a hat i loved hearing the fact that you project their lineup spot based on your stat projections which then gets influenced by the lineup spot um it's like this you know snake eating its own oborears uh, <laughs> situations like which came first uh i like that the projections dictate something that is part of the projections um it's that's yeah that's, it's that's there's the layers to it of like yeah like what's his <laughs> average and his walk rate gonna be that tells you where he'll probably slot in the lineup. And then that slot in the lineup will tell you, you know, how many plate appearances he'll get and, you know, runs and RBIs. Cause you know, if you're batting high in the lineup, you'll get a lot of runs. If you're more of the heart of the order, more RBIs. So it's kind of like in, in theory, it's like, Oh, he's earned this playing time in this spot. 
and then that spot begets like these other bonuses and benefit kind of things. Yeah, yeah, and of course, uh, Michael Bush hasn't earned anything uh, based on his uh, status and production. So we'll see how the Cubs end up using him, probably in spring training. Um, and Kevin, to your point, who's to say that there's not another move coming uh, to kind of free up, even if it's just like a waiver uh, situation or a DFA situation, just to fill up, uh, open up a spot on the forty man uh, for something else. So. Uh, keep an eye on what the Cubs do the rest of the way. Uh, Kyle, let's go to another signing that happened a <laughs> while back. Uh, you didn't notice Jordan Hicks. He signed with a team, and this was somebody that I was really looking forward to seeing where they were going to sign because, uh, as Kevin, as you and I talked about earlier in the offseason, we thought Jordan Hicks could find his way or back his way into a closer role in, in the right situation. And lo and behold, he goes to a team like San Francisco who has a pretty – set closer i'm like oh no oh but wait there's a wrinkle here the giants are expected to make him to stretch him out into a starting pitcher i'm not sure how long this will last or how well he will do here uh but kyle what uh i mean what what's your what's your expectation of hicks in san francisco as a starter just for 2024, do you think he lasts through the season in that role? And then how do you project that? Like, how do you project this kind of a situation uh, where you're just like, what? Yeah, it's, it's it's a tough one. And this is one of those ones where, like, I have to put my thumb on the scale because, like, yeah, the news is saying he'll be a starter. And he's historically been a reliever, especially, like, all last season. Uh, the the Cardinals did try to start him in 22, but he only had, had eight starts. And even in those eight starts, he only went about three innings per. So, like, he's more of, like, a long opener, which is how I treat him. Like, I'm not giving him a full, like, even 20-start workload. And I think it's going to be – I mean – even getting back to eight is kind of a stretch as far as like he didn't do any. I mean, I guess he's got all off season to stretch out a little bit, but I'll probably right now I'm going to end up giving him like eight to 10 starts and then he'll still probably end up with about 40 games played and it'll probably end up about two to three innings per like appearance kind of thing is how I'll end up doing it. And I, I kind of split it up of projecting him as a starter for, you know, the eight games and then as a reliever for the, the remaining games. Um, so that's kind of how I'll handle his hybrid workload. Those are, it's messy. It's complicated. It's not, not as much fun as kind of doing some other guys, especially for, you know, no offense to Jordan Hicks, but he's not like, there's a reason he hasn't been a starter, you know? Um, as far as like the signings concerned, San Francisco or the park change is fairly neutral into San Francisco. He's uh, a ground ball pitcher. So that won't change too much. So he's not going to get a lot of balls in the outfield. So park factors aren't too big of a deal for ground ball pitchers. Um, He'll likely regress a bit on the, with longer appearances because he's a guy who relies super high on his stuff. He had a 126 stuff plus, but He's, you know, the commands where he struggles. He had an mm-hmm. 11% walk rate, and that comes from being a two-pitch pitcher. He's got a very good sinker by PLV and a, a definitely above-average slider, and that's really good, but that's, that's not enough pitches to really be a full-fat starter. Um, he might have a changeup. It was fine by PLV, but he only threw it like 1.5% of the time. So you really, if you're the 
Giants and hoping to have him start that you really hope that's a, a third pitch he can pick up because he tried a four-seamer and that was just bad. So I mean, he didn't throw it a ton. It's might just be because he couldn't really locate it at all, but it was terrible by PLV. Maybe he can kind of use it as a show-me pitch to keep guys from sitting on his sinker, but I don't know. I... I will be watching with my popcorn ready to see how the starting pitcher experiment goes for him, but I don't really believe that it's going to be a long-term thing. Yeah, I think that um, my instinct was like, hey, didn't Jordan Hicks come up as a starter and then just got kind of like a Josh Hader situation, uh, and they just converted him into a reliever? Maybe you could say that, but the like 2017 at high A was the last time he pitched an entire like level as a starter, 14 for 14 appearances. Uh, but then even after getting uh, upgraded or promoted to high A, he started making relief appearances at that spot. Uh, but Kevin, looking at this rotation for San Francisco, I mean, Russell Resource has him as the number four starter. Like that's as, you know, as a guaranteed of a spot as you can really get in this day and age. They don't have anybody in the wings that is knocking on the door to knock them out of that spot unless they make another signing with the exception of maybe Robbie Ray when he comes back, uh, when he's healthy enough to come back. And even when he comes back, who knows how, how long he's going to go or, or how much of a workload he's going to be given in the second half of the season. Um, are, is this a, you know, a risk you're willing to take as far as, you know, drafting somebody who again, looks like he's got that job as long as he doesn't completely fail. Yeah. I'm not comfortable with this at all. I'm I, I I'm going to echo what I've heard a, a lot of others say. I I think he was told they were going to stretch him out into a starter to get him to sign, but then why why such a good contract, right? If if they do expect him to end up being a reliever, do they really think they've seen something and he's going to stay healthy? If excuse me, if they monitor things the right way, that's it's just very mind-boggling here i don't trust him as a starter at all uh i wish i hadn't drafted him in the leagues that i have as a spec <laughs> closer sure uh i I'm, I'm not drafting him there anymore uh it's yeah this is perplexing to me i really don't know what the giants are thinking other than this is what you tell them to get him to sign but then the money didn't make sense. And I, I know that Doval had had some issues down the stretch and maybe that is their angle and maybe they are looking for him to, to be a higher leverage reliever sooner rather than later. But the, this just doesn't make sense. And to your point, looking at their, their starting rotation right now, they need starters. So mm -hmm. if that was their angle, then why aren't they out there signing starters there's still some available there's still uh, some nice ones is, too yeah. it's yeah <laughs> this is this is perplexing i don't get it if this is the route if, if everybody's on the up and up and what they're telling us is what they believe uh i just don't see it working out yeah we saw this with uh nick martinez always comes to mind with this when he was very vocal when he's a free agent saying i'm gonna go somewhere that's gonna allow me to be a starter san diego gave him the chance for like a minute but they were quick to kind of put them back into the pen. Uh, we didn't hear that from Jordan. At least I haven't heard that from Jordan Hicks. I only heard this from the Giants. So it's an interesting right. uh, uh, spin on that. 
Um, all right, a couple more signings to get to uh, and, and some interesting names just coming across our desk earlier this morning. We'll get to those in just a minute after this quick break. Get started on your resolutions with Factor so you're ready for the new year. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success in this new year. Skip the grocery store's prep work and cooking fatigue. Instead, get chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. With only over 35 meals to choose from per week, included in options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie, and more, plus over 55 weekly add-ons, you'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options to kickstart your resolutions. You can forget the frantic lunch preps and rush dinners. Factors two-minute meals are your secret weapon in the new year. Fuel up fast with restaurant-quality meals, all delivered right to your door. Head to factormeals.com slash OTW50. And use code OTW50 to get 50% off. That's code OTW50 at factormeals.com slash OTW50. Get 50% off. You can also click the link in the show description of this episode. And please do so. Every click helps support this pod and pitcher list. So if you like what we do, give us a click at the very least um, and check it out if it looks like it'll be something that could help you in this new year. Uh so we'll get right into the next set of news, Kevin. We had an international signing. Of course, we did have our, uh, I guess it's still technically the J-15, um, though it's a different month. It's January instead of June now. Um, but we had a 26-year-old Cuban right-handed pitcher, Yario Rodriguez, signed with the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, do you expect this to be, based on his age and experience um, overseas, um to make an impact at the major league level and is this is this a dart you're willing to throw out there yeah maybe uh i i think toronto is hoping this works out for him to fill in at the back of the rotation uh i know that he's had some issues giving up home runs in, in the past pitching overseas and that's something to keep an eye on uh, but as we saw with the Blue Jays themselves last season, Rogers Center wasn't playing as well as a home run hitting ballpark as we had seen in previous seasons. So I, there's a lot we have to keep an eye on here, a lot that we don't know yet about any of uh, what's about what's going on here. But at, at his draft price, right, over the past month, uh, he's being drafted in an average uh, of 550 plus in, in leagues, and and his min is 480. That's worth a shot here because I think if he doesn't work out as a back of the rotation starter on a pretty good team, which is is something to take into account when we're when we're chasing wins, then he probably does perform a little better, throw a tick or two harder and in shorter stints as a reliever. Right now, Roster Resource has him locked in, I believe, as the long relief guy. I think Toronto wants him to be at the back of the rotation at his price. I think either one could work out for us. Yeah, like as I mentioned, of course, uh Cuban by uh you know by nature, but spent some time, as we kept mentioning, overseas in uh Japan. So we have some profession, you know, 
he's already got some layers of professional experience to him. Uh, as I, as I mentioned, Kyle, I'm going to throw these back at projections at you most of the time. So this is a perfect opportunity. Like, how do you handle somebody like this? I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I was looking through the projections. You don't have Yamamoto. You don't have Imanaga in there in version one. <clears throat> I'm, I'm assuming they're going to be in version two, but with no, you know, major league data, not even minor league data, uh, how are you incorporating them into the projections? Uh, Yariel being, you know, the newest uh, possibility of having to tackle now. Yeah. So version one, yeah, didn't have any international signings in it. That was definitely kind of like a unknown thing that we just wanted to make sure that we had something polished that we really liked for, I guess, like domestic leagues. Um, but yeah. Speaking to, I, it's funny, we just finished talking about Jordan Hicks, and this seems like the, a very similar situation, especially given that he was in Toronto, and now they're signing, like, but we already For have sure. Jordan Hicks at home. And it's just like, that's, that seems like <laughs> what they had, um, of like, no, this guy, yeah, should be like a long reliever, but we're going to try him out as a starter, but it's going to end up as a long reliever. Um, but now to get back to, to what you're saying, yeah, the luckily playing in Japan, there's pretty full flesh data there in the the NPB. So you start to do some things of kind of indexing how they perform to the league, and then you can see how guys who have made that transition kind of how they they compare. And so something with him, he ran a 27.5 K rate and an 8% walk rate. And in Japan, they generally strike out less than in the MLB. I think it's like an 18% league strikeout rate. And they also walk a little bit less. Um, so for the league, for the MPB, he was like a very plus-plus strikeout percentage guy. Like he got a lot of Ks, even for a reliever, like did a really good job. And then he had kind of suspect walk, suspect command a little bit. Um and so then knowing that you can take a look and see like, okay, that's how he relates to the league. And then how do guys translate from MPB to the majors? And then you can fold that in a little bit better. Um, so yeah, I think he's going to come up as a guy who's probably going to be low to mid twenties strikeout rate, probably nine, 10% walk rate just based on, Guys in the majors are likelier to they've they've probably seen stuff like his a little bit better. That's another mm -hmm. thing to keep in mind. Um, and they're a little bit likelier to spit at bad pitches. So the walk rate will go up, the K rate will go down. We did get to see him a bit in the World Baseball Classic, and so there is you know some stuff plus data. His slider looked really good. That had a one twenty eight, and that. And, you know, it wasn't a ton of pitches, but stuff plus stabilizes pretty quickly. So that looks like kind of a legit offering from the get-go. His fastball looked pretty suspect. That lines up kind of with the reliever role of, yeah, you can get by with a questionable fastball if you have a killer wipeout breaking ball. And then, yeah, I I don't know what his third pitch is going to be. Um, so I'm, again, just like with Hicks, I'm very suspect of his ability to go long into games to go for a lot of games so i'm not projecting a huge innings total i'm not projecting a huge starts total um that he's going to be a guy who's gonna be i mean yeah he's a dart throw in deeper leagues just 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 because you know he's interesting at best he's the unknown yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> interesting at best i like that's a ringing endorsement for any player <laughs> uh 
All right. Well, this somebody who's arguably either more or less interesting, uh, (laughs) but obviously has a lot more data points to to hold your hat on is Marcus Stroman. Uh, He finally finds a new home. He made nice with Brian Cashman, apparently, after those comments were made a couple years ago. Uh, But he signs a two-year deal with the Yankees, Marcus Stroman does. Uh, I mean, Kyle, can... Is this a situation where he he could thrive? Like he, um, you know, everybody worries about home runs in Yankee Stadium. You talked about earlier, like ground ball pitcher, not not so much a, a, of a worry in that situation. Um, does the park factors in New York impact Stroman at all, or can you know can he just run with it? Yeah. So one of the interesting things is based on the the park factor work I've done, this is actually, this change actually benefits him from homers Mm -hmm. that I actually have Chicago as being a a slightly higher. It's a a 110 homer factor versus New York's 107. And I mean, that depends on, especially in New York, that'll depend on the handedness of the batter. They got that short right porch. So, you know, if you're coming up against a pull heavy lefty, yeah, the homers are going to be a lot higher, but across all batters, basically, it's actually a slight benefit for him moving to New York. Um, one of the things that is going to be problematic for him is the change in the defense behind him. The Cubs last season were plus 22 fielding runs, which was very good. New York was three and a half, so uh, you know above average, above expected, but... They've also added Juan Soto, and I'm assuming he's going to play in the field. You know, I'm sure they'll do some DH shenanigans for him and Judge and definitely Stanton. But with Soto, that drops them down to minus fielding runs. So he's going from like a a pretty significantly good defensive team behind him to now a kind of suspect one as a ground ball pitcher. That's, you know, that's going to be tough. That's going to show up in his ERA, even though you know, in the aggregate of like over time, that's going to end up with a couple extra runs just because maybe a guy didn't get to a ball. It's not like they're going to be booting, you know, ground balls or missing flies and that they're super error prone, but it's like those little things on the margins that'll add up, you know, a run every third start, that kind of thing. And that'll, that'll really start to bump up his ERA. The one thing that, you know, to work again in his favor. So it's, you know, it's all kind of pros and cons here and figuring out the balance uh, I do think he'll get a slight win bump just because I think he has a he'll have a better offense in front of him, so he'll have more run support in theory. Um, I know the the Yankees were uh, underwhelming last year, so hopefully you know they perform a little bit more to to expectations, and you know everybody can can stay healthy and happy. But yeah, so I think he'll get a slight win bump over last year. I think the runs. I think it'll. I think his ERA will go up a little bit because of the defense, even though the park factor helps mitigate that some. I think, you know, more balls in play are on the ground with him. And so that'll be a lot more defense intensive than like, are they going out of the park or not? That kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, you've got to, of course, have to consider the whole, you know, Torres and Volpe versus uh, the middle infield of Chicago. We talked about a little bit earlier uh, and, 
you know, the rumor rumor mill in the first half of the offseason was Glaber wasn't even going to be a Yankee come opening day. Uh, you know, obviously, the longer we go here, the more concrete that seems to be uh, in that middle infield in New York. So, uh, Kevin, were you uh, happy, upset, neutral on this? Was Stroman not a, a, not really on your radar anyway? Does it you know push him off? Does it put put him on? Pretty neutral with this move. I mean, where he's going, uh, I'd, I'd still be happy to draft him. There, there's, there's relievers that are that are not closers being drafted ahead of Marcus Stroman, and so going back to the chasing wins. So with the the lineup, I know we 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 talk about how disappointing the Yankees' season was. They haven't done anything in the offseason. You know, there's this guy named Juan Soto they have in the outfield now, but their fans would let you <laughs> lead you to believe they haven't done anything. Uh, I I think it's it's fine. Uh, I'm not expecting... Here's the thing with Marcus Stroman. For four or five seasons, we were getting 180 to 200 innings out of him. We don't get that out of hardly anybody anymore. The last couple of seasons, we've gotten just under 140 from him. If that's your expectation, the 135 to 140 innings, 120 strikeouts, still pushing, maybe giving in, getting into double-digit wins because of the team he pitches for, if that's your expectation, that, that is perfectly fine for where he's being drafted. Just don't expect much more than that. Yeah, fair enough. Keep your expectations where they need to be, and you can't be disappointed. Um, <laughs> all right, Kevin, the other big news that came across the desk. We got two things to talk about. We're going to hit the biggest one first. Uh, our boy, Matt Carpenter, finds a new old home. He goes back to St. Louis, kind of where it all began. Uh, does he have a role there? Is this just like a a way to like, you know, it's like when, when players sign that that one day, one dollar contracts just so you can retire his number type of thing. Um, or do you actually see him doing anything in St. Louis worth anything? I don't. I, I think that was a, a nice flash we had a couple of seasons ago and had fun with and we've continued to have fun with it since. I'm going to keep an eye on it. I'm going to pay attention and and see what he does in the spring and the first handful of games that that he does get into. Uh, who knows? Um, Paul Goldschmidt has has something go wrong, or Brandon Donovan isn't performing. He's their designated hitter right now. That's a, another spot that Matt Carpenter could get into. Maybe he goes back to St. Louis and there's magic, like when Pujols went back a couple of seasons ago. I highly doubt it. I'm going to keep an eye on it, but it's not anything actionable yet other than we get to mention him on our show and have a good time with him. Just imagine. <laughs> imagine if this was Pujols part two. Uh, that St. Louis <laughs> devil magic is back. Um, that, I mean, th this is a, only a half-heartedly joking question, Kyle, but like, how do you account for Cardinal devil magic or any of those other like Dodgeritis and like all the, the other terms that we come up with that are very team specific. Um, do those things go like cross your mind? Like when you say you like, you have to put your thumb on the scale in certain situations where you have to ignore the data. Like how do you take those kind of things into account? Uh, not really. Cause most of the time it's anecdotal. That there's not like I you know I like if it's like repeatable, provable, and like don't get me wrong, I'm I'm right there with you of like I believe the narrative stuff like that. 
you know, it's like the, oh, if, you know, is, is he a raised starter? Oh, his elbow's yeah. going to blow out. And it's just like, I think they just got super oh. unlucky. I don't think that they're like a horrendous training team kind of thing. And, you know, there may be something to, they target guys who are more at risk, but like, you know, I, I don't, I don't buy into that kind of stuff as far as like the Cardinals devil magic. It all gives me the vibe of um, like, especially in the off season, like, oh, oh, he went to driveline. He went to tread. And it's just like, oh yeah, how do you bump that up? And it's like, oh, pencil in, you know, three more uh, exit velocity, you know, just all that kind of stuff or like, oh, his, yeah. you know, his, his slider is going to have four more inches of movement. Like, like that's great. Like those are things where like, if I'm drafting, I might be like, okay, if I'm on the fence between two guys, like I might lean to one. Mm-hmm. Like I'll, I let the narratives be my tiebreaker. I don't let them actually like change my process. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It does. I I also just love the fact that you can't say he went to driveline without sounding like you're in a he went to Jared commercial. Yeah. Like it's just natural now. Uh, it just happens so often. Um, all right. Well, last piece of news here. This is an actual big signing here with actual implications. So, uh, Kyle, I'll have you started off here. Uh, Josh Hader, he sent a five year deal with the Houston Astros. Uh, I know there were talks in like with uh, the rumors in the last couple of days. It's not something I took too seriously. Um, but here we are. And now presumably we, the, the Astros have a new left-handed closer. Ryan Presley is possibly out of that job or at least the majority of the time. He only, he's on an expiring contract this year as well. Um, you know, your Bobby Abreu's shares anybody who took flyers on that situation, not w- like with less confidence in Presley. It, I guess it was the right idea because the confidence shouldn't have been with Presley. Just didn't really necessarily see uh, them going outside and getting a replacement from the free agent market. Um, so, I mean, classic question here: like, you, is this Hater's job based on the money? That's the largest fr- uh, free agent relieving co- reliever contract. Um, in the present day, as Jeff Passan pointed out. Uh, and like, is it his job? Is this a, do you think this is something that they might split the lefty and righty uh, situations? Um, and, or like my secondary question for you, of course, has to go back to your projections. Do you put any stock into the idea or the notion of players playing uh, the first year of a big deal in this as far as relievers go, this is the biggest deal. Um, I know you just said like you like to see things that are repeatable and all that. Uh, I, maybe it's just I've heard this idea floated around so many times that it feels like it's been repeatable. Uh, but yeah, you can work that work that into your answer as well. But Josh Hader and Houston, what's your take there? Yeah, I mean, pretty wild. It, I'm, I'm glad you know he signed today so we could get it on this podcast. So now I can ping. Uh, you know, I was on in the pen with Rick Graham and Jake mm-hmm. Crumpler, and we talked a little bit about would Hater get you know the biggest contract, either you know average value or by total dollars, and we talked about him a little bit. So that was that was kind of fun. Everyone should definitely go check out their podcast for like everything relievers. Those guys know so oh, freaking yeah. much. Uh, but as far as how I go into this, I was just thinking about it. You know, right now of how do I want to split this? This is definitely one of those thumb on the scales ones as far as i i uh you know when it comes to when i do the lineup spots i have a projection that i have but then i also take into account well how were they used last year 
And what I found is the most uh, predictive is actually about a 50-50 split of like kind of what the numbers say their lineup spot should be and then how the team used them last year is the most predictive of how they'll be used in the next year. And I kind of do stuff like that with um, relievers as far as projecting what their role is. Are they going to be, you know, and more in terms of leverage, are they going to be like low leverage kind of long middle relief guys? Are they going to be more your setup? So like your seventh, eighth inning guys who are going to get your holds. Are they going to be like a co-closer or are they going to be just like outright? Yeah, this is the best arm in the pen. That guy's going to close. So I'm sure, you know, I rerun it um, next that it's going to be, you know, these guys are co-closers because they're both super legit. And it is like, I was looking them up earlier. They have basically the same PLV. They have it over, you know, the same, roughly the same number of innings. I think Hater threw slightly less, but it's about the same. I was just pulling up right now what their splits are. Cause like, you know, that could be fun of, okay, well you're, you know, we're just throwing, you know, Presley against lefties and hater against righties. Like we're just going to platoon them. But like both of them are lights out against both hands. Like they don't have platoon splits. So it's, you know, this is one, it might be, it might just be like, yeah, cut it right down the middle. You take half, you take half. Like this is one of those times where projections, like it's tough because you're doing like, what is the least wrong answer? And like just calling it 50-50 is probably the least wrong right now. But what very much is going to end up happening is like one guy probably, you know, one guy has a blow up early in the season. One guy goes on a run and like that just sets the um, the lineup, you know, the their roles going forward. I think I don't I don't weigh playing time based on dollars. So like you said, like it's the biggest relief pitcher contract ever that like that's that's something that like that makes sense to me and that might be like i might do more of a 60 40 split just on that fact alone and kind of be like yeah i'm gonna put my thumb down here like this makes sense to me in addition to kind of the other underlying stuff but i don't know i just wouldn't want to face the astros down a couple runs at the end of the game that's for sure that that's gonna be just a lights out pen Uh, yeah jeez See what I'm thinking is that they they just gave him the extra money just so they could force him to pitch in the eighth and ninth inning every once in a while, which he you know rumored to refuse to do. Uh, it, it is te- in his tenure at uh, in San Diego, uh, Kevin. Like to me, the, my first instinct was just Ryan Presley had one of the longest leashes last year. Um, dealt with injury, came back, struggled here or there, and in most situations you would have said, all right, well, they're, you know, they've got Abreu, they got Montero, they've got guys that can um, fill in for, you know, stretches and give Presley a break, but they just let them work through it. Um, does this, does Hater being in the picture simply shorten that leash incredibly? Or are you of the opinion that Hater's the guy, his leash is already cut, Presley's leash is already cut? I don't know that it's already cut and I haven't heard anybody say that. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of speculation on on fantasy players parts. Everybody's assuming that this is Josh Hader's the closer and Ryan Presley's a setup guy now. I'm not making that assumption. I think it's going to end up that way more times than not. But the the other lefty in this bullpen is Bennett Sosa. 
uh, uh, Josh Hader's going to get used earlier in games from time to time when they're ready for a lefty. Josh Hader's coming in the game, I, I think, and the, because they're perfectly fine with Ryan Presley. I think what happened here, and I think people are forgetting all about Kendall Graveman, right? And this only happened two days ago. Kendall Graveman out for all of 2024. Okay, so we need the strength in our bullpen. What are we going to do? Well, this guy Josh Hader is still available, so <laughs> let's a- we'll give him a record contract, right? And it's not like Ryan Presley isn't making $15 million a year, right? Josh Hader isn't making exponentially more money than, than Ryan Presley. So I, I they've really added to their bullpen depth. They've given themselves so many options, but I don't – I, I'm not handing all these saves to Josh Hader. Does it hurt Ryan Presley? Absolutely. Does it hurt Josh Hader as well? I think so. I think absolutely, actually. Yeah, Hader's been, I don't have it in front of me, but like at least the top three reliever off the board in just about every draft going through. Does it kick him out of that top three? It, it would for me. Yeah. It would for me. I'm looking at more at 20 to 25 saves than 35. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And there's so much more risk with him now. Like, that's the thing. Like, uncertainty, like, if you're drafting a reliever where he's going like that early, like, you want rock solid, no doubt about it. This guy's getting every save that comes by. Like, yeah, he may have the some of the best skills, like, right up there with Edwin Diaz, but like, you know, that, that, that was like when, when he was closing and Devin Williams was in the eighth of like, yeah, Devin Williams, as we know now, is just a like lights out closer, but it's like, well, if he's not getting saves, he's like not worth it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That, that talent could be a detriment to your point, Kevin, with the amount of lefties that they have in that bullpen, which is, doesn't exist. Uh, so right. that could totally come back and uh, cut into it as, as you mentioned. Um, all right. Well, that was, uh, I just double checked. Um, I didn't see any other news come in the last 20, 30 minutes. Uh, so we are going to go ahead and move on here to, the crux of the episode talking to Kyle about the PLV projections before we do that we are going to take another quick break all right we are back and of course you are still listening to on the wire we are here with Kyle Bland the director of analytics at pitcher list uh, and the curator of the PLV powered projections at pitcher list as well uh, first version of those came out I believe it was uh, December 18th uh, so we are m- over a month in and we are expecting to see the second version of these projections come out uh, early next week. Kyle, is that that sounds right? Yeah, yeah, it should be yeah. out. Definitely in time to talk about them um, at uh, PitchCon. Perfect, perfect. Um, all right. Give give everybody a and I mean, you can always go back and you can look and watch the presentations from last year's PitchCon as well. Uh, but give a 10,000 foot rendition of what goes into plv projections you can touch on plv as at itself if you like as well but like what are you looking at when putting these projections together besides the thumb on the scale situations um you don't have to give out secret sauce we don't expect that um if anybody's listening to that and expects anybody who builds projections to give away the exact secret sauce then you're crazy uh that's not going to happen uh but like generally what are you looking at what's weighing more so than other things uh that one are weighing in the projections and the two maybe that aren't being considered in other projection systems that are a little bit more freely available 
Yeah, so like the the super super high view, like what is PLV even? And the idea behind it was how good was that pitch? As simple of a question as you can get, with a very very complex answer. Um, but so you know, lots of talk with Nick, a lot of other people. Like these, this is the same genre as your your pitching plus models, like from Enoceris, or your overall grades from Pitching Bot, or a couple other places. will have kind of like a pitch level quality metric. And this is ours. And one of the things that I really like about it is we get to the value of a pitch by predicting individual outcomes on the single pitch level end. So, okay, he threw this pitch, it went here. We think that's gonna be, you know, a called strike this amount of time, swinging strike this amount of time, a double this amount of time, a home run, that every pitch we make all of those predictions out of. So. We actually end up with this very like rich data set of we have projected outcomes that we can then average across a whole season. Like based on his pitches, we expect his swinging strike rate to be this. And I think that's one of the cool things that this can bring is swinging strike rate on its own is kind of like a like a ground truth stat. Like there's nothing that goes into it. It's did it was it a swinging strike or not, basically. And one of the things that is fun with PLV, especially in making these projections is now we have like an idea of like, well, should that have been a swinging strike? You know, cause you get some where you, you can tell like, Oh, the batter really just got fooled by that one. Or maybe it was a defensive hack. Like it was high and inside and he like fades away from it and they call it like you get some of those calls, but like on the margins, not too many go the wrong way, but this gives you kind of an idea, like a little more granular of a level um, and so that can help, that helps with the projections of doing things of like, okay, well, this was a swinging strike, right? This is what PLV thinks it should be. And then we can do that like across outcomes. And then like the fun starts to get when you like meld stats together and layer them on top of each other of like, okay, here's what his actual strikeout rate was last year. Here's what his CSW was last year. And here's what his csw by plv was last year and you can like combine kind of those three together of you have like the result the underlying and then the pitch level version of it and you can fold those together and that was kind of that's my idea behind this whole projection system is we use historic results and we weight it you know towards league average and we have adjustments for depending on the stat for park for age things like that so that's your historic results. And then, you know, you have, it's a pretty, for something like strikeout rate, that CSW and swinging strike rate, those kind of can translate pretty linearly of like, as swinging strike rate goes up, your strikeout rate goes up. That's, you know, kind of established an understanding right now. So you can have like your X strikeout rate based on underlying stats. And then we also have the PLV. So like taking that X stat and using our PLV predictions from it. And then once we have those three genres, and I also fold in, well, what was the league average? So we kind of regress everything back to league average a little bit so we're not getting way out wacky kind of stuff. Um, and I do that, and I every every stat has different weights. I go through, and I'm running models, and I'm, I'm trying to see, okay, what's, what's the right balance, you know, tweaking the recipe a little bit. So for something like strikeouts, a third of that, is derived from PLV outcomes. So, you know, it's, it's almost a pretty even split between historic results, 
expected and then PLV results kind of thing. For something like walk rate, actually, it's about it's only it's a 50-50 split between res historic results and PLV outcomes. So like trying to predict walk rate wasn't actually super helpful in terms of going to next year, that it was what he do last year or in the past and what were his pitch level walk rate, basically. So you get that they all kind of vary and then you fold them into each other like, OK, well, now we know strikeout rate and walk rate. Now we can use those estimates to then build like an ERA estimate or your whip estimate. And so like it's starting at a very ground level of trying to predict the base stats, fold those into each other. And then you go kind of up the ladder until now we have all of our fantasy relevant stats. So that's the general idea behind how the PLV projections work. What, what I heard, I heard a lot. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I was listening to the whole thing, obviously. <laughs> If I'm going to sum it up into like one small sentence, what I like about knowing what, what goes into PLV and then using PLV to power the projections is that I think what most people think of st a standard projection is using historical, uh, using what the player has done to predict what they're going to do. But what PLV, the wrinkle that, you know, that, I, that I'm seeing and I'm hearing is that not only are you utilizing what the player did, but you're also seeing what the player did, uh, and what they, what they did it against. So, like, especially on the hitter side, it's like, yeah, the hitter had X amount of home runs, and they had, but these are the pitches that they saw to get to those stats, yeah. and the likelihood of them seeing the same types of pitches or a, a, a mix of the, that those results is going to influence what they what they do in the future not only what they did do but what they're going to do against the same kind of a uh, uh, you know grouping of pitching and what have you and of course it works works the other way with pitchers as well because you know hitters are good in their own right <laughs> yeah uh, that you know they can make a very good you know a good hitter can make a very good pitcher look silly and vice versa so yeah, that's one of the the way I think about it, for, especially for like the pitch level models. So you have like your results, your ERA, that kind of thing. Sure. And then you have like, you know, the ERA is the easy one. So then you have your FIP, your fielding independent pitching. And so this is like, oh, what would we think his ERA would be with like with kind of average general defense behind him? And then there's that. And then there's, okay, well, what, you know, now the savant has their X ERA. So, okay, well, what would his ERA be assuming average batted ball results rather than, you know, just homers, strikeouts and walks. And then how I kind of think of PLV in those stats is now we're at batter independent pitching of like, it doesn't like, we're not even taking into account who's hitting, how it was hit, what the swing was that it's just based on what, like, I think it gets a little bit more to like what the true talent of a pitcher is like, what, what is our, his, what makes him like the ineffable essence of who that pitcher is kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then the same thing for the batters, obviously, you know, they, they, they have to react to the pitch, but this allows you to get an idea of like, Oh, like, yeah, sure. He makes contact a lot, but Oh, he's making contact against really challenging pitches. That's really impressive. Or, you know, he's hitting meatballs down the middle. That's not that impressive. So it, it helps give you context for, you know, yeah, he hit the ball, but like, should he have hit the ball? And then if he wasn't supposed to, that like, now you get more credit for that. 
and then applying applying that forward like now you have an idea of like oh he can hit tough pitches and easy pitches and so that'll even out over the course of a season so like when you're projecting it's better to have like that context like context for what he can do what a hitter's talent ability is that kind of thing kevin how are um we've had a year of plv projections um not only on an annual basis but of course with you know the pl pro subscriptions you can get the weekly projections as well um as well as the dfs the daily projections for that situation um do you find did you find last year yourself utilizing uh, these projections in any one of those areas more so than the other, um, the annual, the weekly, or the the daily situations? Um, or did you try to incorporate all of them throughout the course of the season? Well, I tried with all of them. Uh, the weekly became more and more useful for me as the season went on. Old habits are hard to break, right? <laughs> we're, 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 even us, we're here at Pitcher List. I, First thing I do when I open up my laptop is I go to fan graphs. I, I don't even know what I'm looking for yet. That's where I go. It's what I'm used to, right? Uh, but this is uh, amazing. I love this. I love that it's on a per type of pitch basis, uh, especially on the hitting side. I, I think that's just huge. And so I, I've been using them a lot more this off season even more so than in season last year. And I fully expect to be relying on them heavily in 2024 yeah that, i mean the the player pages i i agree with you it you know obviously whole old habits die hard uh and you know you get used to certain sites whether it's you know baseball reference or fan graphs or what have you uh but once you once you make the pitcher list player pages your habit i mean that that's going to be the most difficult habit to break not only because they're so useful but just because it's it's that you know they're always going to keep getting better. Kyle, you're going to talk about it at PitchCon, um, all all the cool stuff that's coming out uh, just on the player pages and the, and the stats that are being included. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I highly recommend start at least you know dabble into them this uh, this off season if you haven't already. You're you're definitely missing out. As Nick will always say, he literally built the player pages for himself. Like he built them in such a way where it, you know, he knew it was going to be the what he was going to be looking for to analyze specifically pitchers, but all all players in general uh, were right there, ready for the taking. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how the uh, the the daily and more importantly, especially for this show, uh, the weekly projections uh, get mapped out this year. Um, but this was the first year of the PLV projections officially. Uh, how, Kyle, how did they do? Yeah, they were, they were solid. Um, they performed pretty well as far as kind of the process. Uh, I think, you know, we were, we were pretty open and upfront about this for what we did last year. We, our projections were tied pretty closely to, to Ariel Cohen's ATC projections that they provided kind of like a baseline that we then tweaked with our PLV information. So mm-hmm. Um, you know, his projections are always crushing it. You know, they're, they're a very smart aggregation of other projections. And so it, it uses, you know, wisdom of the crowds. And then once we have all that crowd wisdom, we're like, all right, now let's do our own thing. And so we did, you know, so, some, uh, 
some POV tweaks. And, you know, there are, there are pros and cons, hits and misses to that. Um, one of the biggest hits, and I know this was, uh, if you could see Nick and my chats from last offseason, it was uh, Alec Manoa. And it was fading Manoa because <laughs> it, I, PLV just never believed in his command that he kind of had a tendency to, to blow up and lose his command in important counts. So like an, in like when the leverage was highest, he kind of faded a little bit in 2022. And so it happened often enough that it was kind of a consistent factor that, you know, it, that I definitely wasn't buying Manoa anywhere. I just didn't see it. I'm also generally hesitant about sinker first guys. Um, but yeah, sure enough, he had, he had a really rough season, got sent down, I mean, all the way to A at one point, I think it was. You know, he's a young guy, so he could absolutely bounce back, and he's shown some quality stuff before, but that was kind of one of the one of the big wins. Um, but, you know, with those, you do get some misses. I was crazy high on Hunter Green. I, you know, it, it seems like that fastball is too big to fail to me that like, you know, he's sitting almost a hundred and then he's got a wipeout slider that he could pair with it. That like, to me, it's like, if Strider can do this, Hunter Green can do this. And so big, uh, POV was really big on him going into last year. And, you know, that didn't end up working out another one, you know, even though it was a, a small sample size, we had some 2022 data on Corbin Carroll and it wasn't great. Like, I mean, it wasn't terrible. He, you know, especially for what he was 21 or 22 as a rookie, like it, it wasn't trash, but it wasn't, you know, very impressive. And so I tended to fade on him a little bit. And then, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody projected him to be, you know, the down ballot MVP candidate that he was, but <laughs> sure. I know POV especially was a little more suspect on what he'd be like in 2023. Fair. Fair enough. All right. Well, like I mentioned last thing we'll hit up here before we get to some player discussion uh, is the fact that your version two is coming out um, early next week. Uh, should I just be expecting that free agents who sign with a new team, uh, the international players that actually have teams now, uh, those are going to be our big changes or should we be expecting any of the other players that, you're like, you just, you came across somebody, you're like, wait a minute, something's wrong here. I got to dive deeper into it. They're, you know, we're going to see a big adjustment in, in their projections. Yeah. So, I mean, you'll, you'll definitely see that where the free agents sign, obviously will have an impact kind of on where they'll slot in the lineup, what the rest of their lineup looks like will then inform kind of their counting stats a little bit. And then, you know, trickle down to other players who are already on that team and definitely the international free agents aren't on there so that'll be a huge change um but as far as like kind of like like updates to the players who are already out there that they're going to be some pretty substantial ones i tweaked my playing time estimates both for hitters and pitchers a fair bit you know in addition to getting information as it comes in news reports that kind of stuff i also had a, a pretty decent change to the underlying kind of model driven process to it so that there should be some guys will have bigger jumps than others some guys will have bigger drops than others that kind of thing um and then there will be some changes too as far as how i'm incorporating batted ball results i've been doing work basically yes yeah, since last month trying to figure out the best way to go through batted balls they're pretty fluky trying to figure out especially on the hitter side, solving the like, 
Isak Paredes problem of, man, he pulls fly balls and those are super valuable, but how sticky of a skill is that and how can we inform projections with that? And so I think I have a good process for that. And then on the flip side with pitchers too, especially one of the things that PLV does is it outputs uh, likelihoods for batted ball types. So like, you know, it's a X percent ground ball likelihood and a Y percent fly ball likelihood. So now I have better, more granular predictions, projections on what style of pitcher they are. So, you know, maybe someone got lucky or fluky with their batted ball results. And now we have something that's more like, okay, based on what his pitches are, this is what kind of pitcher he is. And then subsequently, and maybe more importantly, this is the kind of like Homer per fly ball we'd expect, or this is the kind of BABIP we'd expect. And then, so updating definitely the ERA estimates for pitchers, some of the whip estimates, as far as some guys might allow more or fewer hits, depending on, you know, what style of pitcher they are. But yeah, those are kind of the biggies as um, playing time for sure. And then batted ball results. So that'll, that'll change a good amount of guys around. You're killing me, Kyle. Um, I thought you were just going to say that the free agents and that's about it. Everybody else is going to say the same because that would make our next conversation uh, a lot stickier. Uh, (laughs) Now, um, we it's great to know that you're you're willing to to kind of see the changes that need to be made through, you know, research and and, and analyzing the data uh, and make those changes and not just be held to your own creation, if you will. Uh, throughout the course of the off season. And then, you know, obviously it'll be adjusted throughout the season as well um, as the season rolls on. Uh, so that that's actually great. Obviously I kid because all the players that we're going to talk about in the next section here uh, all revolve around version one of the projections. So uh, if you, if you are a PL pro member and you can pull up these full projections uh, after listening to this episode, uh, yeah, they might look a little different. That's okay. It's okay that we learn from that and we move on, and it still makes for great, um, you know, analytics as far as how you're drafting and who you're who you're pushing up and who you're pushing down. So, like I said, we are going to talk about some players. Uh, we're going to do that right after this next break. All right, we are back, and of course, you're still listening to on the wire. We are talking PLV projections with Kyle Bland. Uh, I am Adam Howe, of course, Kevin Hastings alongside me. We are going to talk about some players that ultimately PLV projections doesn't like or they like a whole lot more compared to what we've been seeing them in recent drafts. Uh, Just to quantify that, what that actually means, I've looked at ADP from draft champions on the NFBC platform. Of course, these are 15 team draft and hold. So there's a whole lot of players being drafted here since December 1st. Um, and I'm only looking at players that uh, I'm going to separate these guys into groupings of by position and then also by late round. And when talking about late round, they still have to be have an ADP of a max of 400. Um, in early round, these are guys that are going prior to pick 100. So when you hear me say late round, that's what I mean. Early round is pre 100 ADP. Um, so what I've got guys listed on here that I've got a late round buy, 
and I've got an early round when I say push, it's also just means buy. Uh, these are guys that uh, PLV likes a whole lot more in comparison to where they're being drafted by their position. Um, and then we're going to talk late round fades at the position and early round fades. Again, player on the opposite spectrum. Uh, these are guys that PLV ranks pretty low compared to where they're being drafted. Um and so obviously you want to be able to get your value where you can get it. And so Kyle, like when we get to the players, I want you know want you to defend the player based on the projection. You are the projection. Uh <laughs> Kevin, you are the drafter. Uh and I didn't really write this into the outline so I'm trying to spring this on you guys. Uh you guys going to role play a little bit. Um and if you're and if you completely disagree with your your side Feel free. That's fine. I just want to open discussion as to why these guys are going where they're going. So I'm not going to hold you to these rules, Kevin. You can go whichever way you want. Uh, <laughs> not like not like the other games. Um, so we'll start with pitcher. This is a pitcherless podcast, so we'll get the pitcher out of the way first. You're welcome, Nick. Um, and we got our our late the, first. We got our buys. So these are guys that PLV ranks really highly compared to where they're going in ADP. So we'll start at the back end of drafts, the late round buy here. Um, and these are actually extremes. These are all guys that are going, at least on the late end, um, these have the biggest difference in uh, where they're being drafted versus where they're ranked by PLV. So uh, JP Sears ranked 59th pitcher. Um, of course, these are overall pitchers, um, they, that's both how they're uh, presented in the PLV projections and on the NFBC ADP. So that makes sense to just go ahead and do a one for one there. A 59th pitcher, JP Sears, uh, going off the board as the 156th pitcher um, overall ADP in these drafts at 392. So in your standard 15 league, he's still going in the very back end of like a, fa- a 30 round league. Um, and so, it, Kyle, like, why, why JP Sears? Like, why does PLV like JP Sears? And I'm not saying loving the 59th pitcher, but yeah. top 60 pitcher uh, overall, which probably makes them closer to like a top 50 starting pitcher, top 45. Uh, why does PLV love JP Sears? Yeah, I think one of the things uh, Kevin kind of touched on a little earlier. He's gonna give you a lot of innings, and like. I have him projected for, I think it's 170 innings right now. And that's a lot. That is like upper echelon innings total. And he's going to do it. I, I I have in my notes, I'm like, he's like the platonic ideal of a Toby. He is like a guy, he's going to be fine in ERA and whip, you know, and because he throws so many innings, he'll get you enough wins, even though he's on Oakland and he'll get you enough Ks because he has, you know, a, a fine enough strikeout rate that he's a guy that maybe is, he's where the PLV has him because he's, he's a high floor, that there's not a ton of variance. You, what you see is what you get, but what you get is very useful, will contribute, and doesn't have as much maybe blow up potential as some of the guys around him. That's fair. Kevin, should we be pushing JP Sears up in drafts? Because of his, and Kyle, you didn't use the term, but this term is always used in the Discord because of his cromulent nature. Um, and that's a, you know, Christopher Weber call out, of course, yes. but uh, he uses it enough that it basically is just terminology within the Discord now. Um, are, are you pushing him up based on, based on this? Or like, is it just 
too Toby-esque to actually care what the projection thinks. I love this. And one of the things I love about it is we don't have to push him up. Right? Nobody else yeah. is going to. I absolutely <laughs> love fair. this. And so it's the, the great thing about this to me is you, you look at, at the POV projections for JP Sears and you see, okay, 170 innings. Uh, he had 172 last year. Uh, Steamer has him for 170 as well. You start looking at his ERA, his FIP. All of this looks just right in line with what I think most of us would would think we can expect slash hope for um, J.P. Sears. It's the 12 wins, right? Uh, Over the past two seasons, he started 43 games, J.P. Sears, and uh, appeared in 49. He has 11 wins. Uh, he's projected for 12 wins this season with the Oakland Athletics. Uh, I am not going to buy that. Now, I, of course, it, it's possible, and I think he could get there. And when I draft him, I'm going to hope he could get there. However, the great thing about this is you go looking for players that are similar but without the 12 wins. And the one that the other numbers come up almost identical, only half the wins is Chris Paddock. And JP Sears is still being drafted a full five rounds after Chris Paddock in 15 team leagues. That's what I love about this. Even when I make that adjustment, he's still going five rounds later than guys that are projected to be similar to what I'm adjusting him to, taking half of his wins away. So uh, a player like J.P. Sears, when I see that and I see, okay, what's making him so valuable? It's those wins. What if I pull back on those wins? Where does that put him? And he's still a big value. I'm all in. All right. Well, that's the end of your drafts uh, for the pitcher, the PLV likes. Let's go to the front half of your draft. We're talking top 100 picks overall. Uh, the one with the biggest margin here is Zach Eflin, who obviously had a nice little breakout season with Tampa Bay last year. PLV ranked him as the 40, 14th overall pitcher, uh, where he's being ranked as the 36th pitcher off the board. Of course, this is overall in those DCs, 81 overall ADP uh, since December 1st in those DCs. Uh, Kevin, again, it, I mean, it, combination of what we saw him do last year um, are you are you the fact that PLV likes him to repeat and then some uh, going into 2024? Are you are you are you stretching out to make sure you get him? Like these are this is the first top hundred picks, right? Like you have to have a plan. You for every draft you're in, you got to be able to make adjustments. Sure, uh, but like we talk about it, how we're ignoring ADP from after round one um, or even in round one, unless you have one one. Uh, are you making a stretch for Eflin? Like, are you willing to make that kind of stretch for Eflin um, based on the fact that now we see that, you know, PLV is a big fan? I have not been drafting Zach Eflin and it's nothing against Zach Eflin. It's nothing against these projections, but these and other projections also like other younger pitchers that I am a fan of Bobby Miller, 
Kyle Bradish. There's this guy in Kansas City, uh, Reagans, I think is his last name. Yeah. So uh, it's just other guys going around him that I prefer, but it, it's nothing I have against Zach Eflin. Kyle, why is this value being uh why why is PLV pushing his value up now? Again, it, you're right, Kevin. Like he, you know, there are other players that the projections like right around this, but the fact is is that they're not being drafted like that per se. Like Eflin's being pushed back at 36. Even again, still top 80 pick, top 85 pick overall. Uh, but you know, you, you still don't have to draft them at that spot. But if you like them enough and you agree with the projections enough, you could push them up. Kyle, what, like, what is it about Eflin that PLV likes so much? Yeah, and I think this is one of the things I'll actually probably talk about in uh, the projections panel at PitchCon is one of the benefits of projections is it does kind of cut through the, um, like hype, the news cycle, thing, like everyone's talking about it, or even like, it gets through to like, will he help your team or not? And like, of course the sexy K rates are awesome. The super low ERAs are great, but like sometimes for like a guy like Eflin, you know, he doesn't have crazy stuff, but he locates the ball super well. He's got a super low walk rate. Um, He was 10th in pitching plus across all qualified pitchers last year. He was second in location plus only after George Kirby command savant he had a, a 511 PLV, which is very, like very solid, definitely, you know, distinctly above average. Um, that he's the kind of guy that is just like, it's all value. That no one's going to draft him because he's not throwing a 30K rate. Like he's not, you know, going to have the wipeout pitches that get you on, you know, the pitching ninja bump kind of thing he's not going to get a, a, a full breakdown from Nick on the YouTube channel. Like, no, he's just a guy who's going to go out there. He pitches for a good team in the Rays. They know what they're doing. They have a really good offense. They, um, they've started to let their pitchers go a little bit longer. So especially because they just don't have pitchers, they need them to save their bullpen. Um, but that, yeah, he's just a guy mid threes, ERA, uh, low teens, what one, one, four whip, on a really good team, uh, find enough strikeouts, but that's something, you know, and a lot of the things too, that, that we'll see kind of with some of these projection guys is they might provide value in specific ways. And so some of these are like, you know, this is his general value, but what he's missing, you know, for F when he might have that low K rate, but like you can supplement that maybe with a higher upside guy, you know, the, the riskier flashier pick later on, or maybe, you know, you fee that with, you know, a Josh hater kind of dart throw for some K's and that kind of thing later on that he'll provide you a lot of stability. And I think that has value. I know there's always the, the upside stability kind of trade-off. I know Nick is, is a big fan of drafting for that upside, the, you know, kind of get your three studs and then you can churn and burn the rest of your rotation. But, you know, I think there is some value to having that one guy who's going to be on your team all year. You're going to pencil him in for every start and he's not really going to have a ton of blowups. He'll probably help you more often than it'll hurt you. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, let's get to the fades, guys. I'm going to blend these guys together. Otherwise, it's going to be a a four-and-a-half-hour pod, (laughs) which I don't think any of us are technically opposed to. Um, (laughs) 
except for my sleep schedule. Uh, but we got our late round fade, Chase Silt, Seth. Again, these are guys that had the biggest uh, difference in their ranking, their draft ranking, and their PLV ranking at the position. Uh, PLV rank of 328 compared to a, a DC ADP rank of 121. And that's just within pitchers. Overall, uh, ADP of 342. Uh, early round fade for PLV is Walker Bueller. You rank him as the uh, 168th pitcher. He's being drafted as the 44th pitcher. That is a very large gap. Uh, overall ADP of 100. Kevin, why are these players being drafted so high if PLV hates them so much? Oh, Walker Bueller. It, it's the name and the team and the, the high hopes coming back from injury, and it doesn't usually work out that way. So I... I I'm happy to see him here. Just a little confirmation bias on I haven't even been looking at Walker Bueller so far uh, in drafts where he's being taken anyway. And this just helps solidify that uh, I feel as if I'm making the right choice there. Sure, he could come out and throw 130 great innings in, in 2024. And congratulations to those that, that draft him if that's what happens. But uh, I completely uh buy into what the 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 projections are telling us here the the late the late round ones are a, a little different and it it just makes things so much easier for me when we start looking in a range that has i just brought up chris paddock there's luis severino john gray jordan hicks guys we've been talking about all off season right and should i be considering chafe silseth in this spot plv tells me no and i haven't so when i'm when i'm getting down to this area of a draft uh i'm just gonna i'm, I'm just gonna put blind trust in in what the POV projections are telling me. And, and that is there are other guys that I am much more interested in that, that are being drafted in this range. Uh, so it, it's pretty simple for me. Uh, I, I can be hypocritical uh, about things I say very often. Anybody listening knows I, I, I do that on every show at some point, but in, in instances like this, it's, it's an easy confirmation for me that, uh, yeah, I'm passing on guys like Silth, Silth, Seth in this spot. Um, yeah, I mean, I just redid it, and his uh, Silseth's ranking is going down in those DCs already. Um, actually, I didn't, I didn't filter out into just DC, so that's probably what it is. Uh, but I just love the fact that the PLV pitching rank for Silseth is three twenty eight, and his overall ADP is only twenty points higher than that. Uh, so PLV Kyle hates Silseth so much that he shouldn't be drafted even in an old pitcher draft uh, <laughs> compared to their rankings. Um, like what, like, it, it, are you in the same agreement? Like, like it's just, is it just name recognition, especially when it comes to Bueller? Silseth, obviously ha we, there was some buzz with him last year, right alongside with Reagan's, uh, you know, for a minute. Uh, but yeah. what, you know, what's your take here? Yeah, for so I'll start with Bueller. Um, yeah, of course, you know, he's the name, he's the Dodgers, great team. 
Um, it's he's one of those guys. He's going to get two different revisions for V two. Uh, his ERA is probably going to go down, be a little bit better. But the flip side of that is I, his innings are also going down. So I had him for 160. I think he should actually probably be closer to 140. And then, yeah, his ERA is going to go down closer to four. Um, and that's just, there's a lot of skepticism just because, you know, he didn't pitch all last year. He pitched in 2022. Even in 2022, it was only 65 innings. That's not a lot of sample size. And in 2022, it wasn't a great showing. 21% strikeout rate is below average and his, he gave up hard contact. He had an XERA of over four. So there are like, he had a lot of potential. His PLV values were actually pretty good, but this is maybe one of those things where his historic results maybe weren't quite as rosy on him as the PLV values were. So like, I can see how he ends up doing very well. I can't see how he ends up doing it for a lot of innings though. And that's, that's going to, probably fade me out on him regardless based on where he's drafted currently. And then for Silseth, yeah, I think he's one of those guys, he has a big fastball. It throws, you know, he averaged 95, like he can really dial it up if he wants to. But one of the weird things about him in general is he has a very short extension and the movement on it is pretty average. His, uh, you know, Enoceris' stuff plus, he had a, a 93, which that far below average while throwing 95 miles an hour is actually kind of hard to do. Like, how do you throw that hard and have it be bad stuff kind of thing? Uh, his slider's really weird. It gets a ton of drop, which is unusual. Um, PLV can kind of struggle with weird pitches and weird outlier extreme things like that. So it might just be it's not picking something up. But based on the rest of his profile, like, he has good stuff pitches. So, like, his slider and his cutter but he doesn't locate them well. And then he has pitches he locates well, like his sinker and his splitter, but they're bad stuff. So like, he doesn't really have one pitch that's great at all things. And so like, I don't, there's not a lot of like upside for me at least. And like, I think that's kind of baked into the projections of like, well, either he's going to miss with his, you know, gnarly pitches, or you're going to get a hittable pitch in maybe a tough location that you can foul off or get, get some wood on. I got to assume that the majority of the this ranking and projections is also just based on the playing time that you put in for Silseth, where yeah. you've got him at, you know, 34 games and only 18 of them. You expect him to make a start at, for a, a total of 120 innings. Uh, so obviously that's going to play a big role. That's why he's only got five wins being projected. Not to mention he's with the Angels. Uh, he is the number five, you know. In theory, at least roster resource has him as the number five in that rotation. So he is first man out. So that logic is sound in, in just on the surface. Uh, but we got to remember that, Kevin, you talk about this all the time. Like if you see a projection that you like, but you just don't necessarily agree with the playing time, feel free to make adjustments and see what happens to that. So uh, playing time is a big part of you know rankings by projection are usually, especially the deeper into the rankings they go, uh, really weighed heavily on the playing time that mm -hmm. the projection model is giving them. Um, so Silseth, that's what stands out for Silseth uh, for me. Um, all right, it we doesn't take a lot of time, and it doesn't take a lot of knowledge. Uh, of knowledge. I am an example of that. I, I don't know a lot about spreadsheets, but I know enough. And so when, when you download a projection and, and to your own spreadsheet 
change change the county stats to per at bat and, and then and redo everything so that all you have to do is change the at bats and it true. readjusts everything <laughs> just there we just moved the end of the show to the middle right there there you go <laughs> the tip of the week <laughs> it is so amazing just to change innings pitched or change at bats and your entire thing just automatically adjusts for you and you can see you can plug in 18 different numbers for a guy in at bats and see where it moves him it's amazing yeah and and a large sample size like a full season projection that works really well of course on the flip side we talk about this all season like oh this guy's projecting out to hit xyz um in a 20 game sample size uh doesn't work as well that way okay not typically (laughs) Um, all right, we got yeah. If only uh, we got a lot of hitters to talk about. We do have to make another quick break, and then we'll get right to it. All right, guys, let's get into everybody's favorite category of hitters. We're not going to do the position by position, but you can't really lump catchers with anybody else. So catchers, and actually, I found there's the last groupings that I made, but I found some of them to be more interesting, even though the the differences aren't that big. It's just the fact that the the names that did pop up. So we'll get into the buys here. The late round by uh, Luis Campusano, PLV rank of 11th catcher, but being drafted as a 17th catcher. Uh, overall ADP of 199. So top 200 pick there. Uh, early round by here, William Contreras is PLV's top rated catcher. Uh, he is still going the third off the board in these uh, DCs that have started since December 1st, 79th overall ADP. Um, Kevin, I mean, I, we talk about catcher, catchers being uh, a position that, you know, it's a little deeper than we ha- or have been typically used to. Obviously, we in these NFBC leagues, they are two catcher leagues. That's a big part of the, the depth of this that we talk about. Um are you know would you are are you buying are you first of all are you buying a catcher early um like and how early is early and are you buying into Contreras being your C1 I have not got a catcher too early yet I have Rio Muto in a couple of spots those were real early drafts I was getting him quite a bit later than we're used to to getting him and it, and in fact you know he's been going in the third round the past two or three years and he's not going until towards the end of the fifth on average now so he is still going a, a little bit later uh I, I love William Contreras uh he would he would be my number one ranked catcher if I did rankings uh he was the number one fantasy catcher last season uh that may still surprise a, a few people that have been zoned in on, on fantasy football for the past few months uh but i yeah i i'm all about william Contreras in that spot if you want to take a a catcher in, in the sixth round i think we're hearing a lot about this and i agree with it it played out through last season in season we kept having more and more catchers become available that were actually performing well and luis Camposano. One of those for those that play in single catcher leagues, especially 10 and 12 team leagues, guys in this range may not be of much interest to you now. But a guy like Luis Camposano ha- has a 
a chance to move into relevance even in your single catcher leagues. So I would keep an eye on him. Uh, I I think uh, I, I'm kind of echoing what I've been hearing uh, Bubba and Ryan Bloomfield talk about on Bubba and the Bloom as they uh, talk about catchers almost every episode because Ryan will make Bubba talk about catchers. <laughs> uh, you know, a couple of guys in this range, Jonah High, Mitch Garver, Luis Camposano. I don't want to wait till much after this to get my second catcher. But I'm okay with even waiting till this range to get my first one, as long as I do get my second one as well. Yeah, if you're going back to back, it makes sense. Uh, it's just a we- whether or not you're willing to like. If you really want to stretch after Capisano, who is PLV is saying he's worth it. Uh, Kyle, like, what's that about? Yeah, so for Camposano, he actually he makes legit contact. Like the dude had 65 grade contact by our metrics with average power, which is a good combination to have. And um, he has pretty poor decision value, but that's fine given the really good contact and the solid power. And one of the things I went into our uh, hitter heat maps and I just took a look. One of the things I think his decision value is bad is he really loves to swing at low and outside pitches, which are like generally bad ones to swing at. But he's also very good at making contact and adding power there. So, like, that's something of, like, his swing is geared to hit and hit those pitches hard. And so, like, that may not get – so decision value may not get the full story. So he's a guy who, like, knows his swing and swings where he knows it'll do damage. And he's also generally really aggressive. So when you combine that aggressive nature with plus-plus contact, you're going to get a lot of balls in play, get a lot of pressure on the defense – and that'll help your counting stats um, as far as, you know, those sacrifice flies at RBI. And, you know, that'll also bump up average. The more you hit the ball, the likelier you are to get on base kind of thing. Um, sure. And then to jump into C1, William Contreras. I mean, yeah, like Kevin was saying, he was fantasy number one catcher last year. Uh, I just pulled up Fangraph's auction calculator. And with the default settings, he's number one for them too. So, feels good to know that I'm not like going way out on a limb here. Um, but yeah, one of the things I know we've talked about it a lot and that's what projections are, but it's playing time that he's going to bat super high in that lineup. He batted second, almost 70% of the time last year. Um, he'll rack up those plate appearances. He has plus decision value plus power, um, especially to the inside pitches Um, And he has a a pretty patient approach so he'll wait for pitches that he can really hit. So, you know, maybe he might not get as many at bats as you'd hope, but when he does, you know, swing the the bat and get the barrel on the ball, he's going to do some damage and it's going to be often that high in the lineup. And usually either with guys on base or once he's on someone else will bat him in. So all of those things push together to really add like a well-rounded, pretty high floor catcher profile. So we have a couple of fades, of course. Uh, a late-round fade here is Shea Langoliers, PLV ranked 28th catcher, uh, ADP ranked 19th catcher, 245 overall ADP. And then your early-round fade, JT Real Muto, you talked about just a little bit ago, Kevin. Uh, PLV ranked the fifth catcher, but being drafted as the second catcher, uh, I believe right behind Adley Rutschman um, in the ADP, and 71 overall in, in ADP. Uh, I mean, you, Kevin, you mentioned you've got Real Muto somewhere, but in essence, are you willing to like just 
you know, let somebody else take this uh, price point um, at Real Muto? Or is it still somebody that you feel is safe enough? You're like, you know what? If I'm going to take a catcher early, I'm still he's still on my radar. He's still on my radar. Um, I'd, I'd rather wait a little longer. Uh, but, you know, in, in that spot, he's still going to give us uh, a, some stolen bases that other catchers typically do not give us. And granted, 10 to 15 stolen bases aren't what they used to be, but getting them from a position where most of your opponents are going to get zero, it, it can help. So there's still value there. Uh, William Contreras, I just wish that I, I didn't, I didn't think he would move up this high in ADP. Uh, I was caught by surprise when I first started drafting, even early in in draft season. Uh, I, I knew he'd move up, but I thought he'd be more in the fifth or sixth range. I uh, move Will Smith and Yiner Diaz up and slot him behind Diaz before Salvador Perez and Cal Raleigh. That's kind of where I thought he'd be. And then we're talking more like seventh or eighth round rather than than sixth round and i'd I'd be much happier with that so i i was a little disappointed to see how high uh william Contreras had actually uh moved up in adp for this season kyle any any thoughts on these guys at why plv hates again we talk about depth of of catcher though i mean to see shay shay langeliers who obviously has a role uh, pretty much every day at the position uh, to be down so low. Uh, what is it about about Langoliers? Yeah, so he's kind of like the flip side of that playing time argument. Like you said, he's locked in. He's going to be C1 for the A's. But um, he's got, I mean, he runs a, a bad combo of bad decision value and bad contact. So he's swinging at pitches he shouldn't and he's not even making contact on those. So that's a really rough combination to make work. I mean, he's got plus power, so that helps him claw back a little bit of it, but he loves himself. He's kind of the opposite of Camposano. He swings at those outside pitches, but he actually can't hit them. Hit them. <laughs> so like, you should definitely not swing at those. And then, of course, then you factor in Oakland. That's a terrible lineup, and they didn't even bet him high in that lineup. So, like, he's going to have no counting stats. The plate appearances he does get are going to drag down your ratio stats that that actually he might be more of an average suck because of the playing time than some of the other catchers who may not get as much. And then, yeah, speaking to Real Muto, um, he's going to – they bat him down the lineup a bit, so he's fifth or sixth most of the time. Um, that's pretty good for RBIs, especially with the guys in front of him, but that's going to be – fewer plate appearances, fewer runs, because then the guys behind him are worse. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're talking, you know, the theme of projections is playing time. A lot of the guys in front of him are projected for at least like 70 more plate appearances. So that's a good 10 to 15% of a season. Like if you're getting, and those guys generally earn it, that it's like those that's worth it. That's good average, good power, you know, whatever. And so those counting stats do, you know, even, even in head-to-head, definitely in Roto, but like they do add up over time. And Kevin touched on it. He he has good stolen base attempt and success rates, but the value of stolen bases in general have kind of been 
brought down a little bit because everyone else is stealing, you know, sometimes a couple, sometimes a ton more bases. Um, yeah, it's a boon at catcher, but in the scheme of the league, it's not quite as impressive. Yeah, you got to imagine that, you know, he doesn't have the ability to be plugged in or to supplement his plate appearances in Philadelphia at the DH spot. Uh, they kind of have a clog. They're one of those teams that just has players that deserve to be the DH more so or need to be the DH more so on a regular basis. Um, all right, let's move on to our corner infielders, though, guys. We got two buys here. The late round buy uh, ended up being Ty France. Again, to clarify, these are guys that are going, not guys that I necessarily wanted to talk about, uh, but mathematically the ones I needed to talk about that had the largest difference in PLV ranking at the position versus where they're being drafted at the position. So PLV ranked Ty France is the 34th corner eligible uh, player off the board, where he's actually going off the board as the 52nd corner eligible. Of course, that includes first baseman, third baseman. Uh, overall ADP of 310, our early round by here, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he is going off the board as the 10th corner but PLV ranks him as the third most valuable corner. Uh, ADP overall of 33. Uh, Kevin, let's start in the early rounds here. You talk about how you're not going after first baseman. Um, third ba- I mean, we I lumped first and third baseman together in this corner. Obviously, both these guys are first baseman by trade. But, I mean, are you, make, are you, are you, are you hoping or expecting any kind of a bump in Vladimir Guerrero Jr. where you would actually be considering drafting him earlier than where he's going. Just Kyle is. Once again, once once again, uh, you, you don't have to. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. going late third round, early fourth round. I have drafted him there. I have talked in recent weeks about realizing that there's first baseman available later in the draft that I'd be happy taking, but I had been filling up my first base and corner spots. So I stopped doing that. I still stare at Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Every time I get to that point in the draft, it's, it's, I, I think it's a great value. It's tough to let him go there. Love that Ty France is showing up here for, for a guy going after pick 300. He's somebody I'm definitely interested in. The The one that really sticks out to me here is the early round fade for corner infielders, uh, Gunnar Henderson. And the reason it sticks out to me is because when I first see that, the first thing I want to do is go see, okay, why doesn't POV like him? Uh, well, they, they're projecting him for about the same amount of at-bats, same amount of games played, same amount of home runs, runs, RBI, batting average, only two two points off uh, of what Steamer hasn't projected for. It's not that PLV projections don't like Gunnar Henderson. It's that drafters like Gunnar Henderson a whole lot more than any of the projection systems do. And that is something that is very valuable to find out and gets me off of a player almost completely right away. All the projection systems agree, and he's being way overdrafted in in spite of that. That, That's that's a big red flag for me. That's just people are buying into the hype too much and name recognition once again. 
Yeah, it's nice. I, I I had my choice. I could have put Gunner in as the corner or the middle. Of course, obviously still has the dual eligibility. Shortstop and third baseman for Baltimore. Uh, but it made more sense to put him in here as a corner. He's being drafted as a third baseman more often than not, I would say. Uh, especially like in a gladiator, he probably ended up in that third base spot more often. Um, plus, I really wanted to make sure I got the name in there for the middle infielder that took his spot. Uh, Kyle, I, I mean, I'll... I'll Take the final uh, tile away here and let everybody know that the late round fade here uh, was Max Muncy. Uh, POV ranks 49, uh, ADP ranked 31st corner infielder off the board. Uh, Overall ADP of 171. And Gunner was a POV ranked 19th corner with a DC ADP of 9th corner off the board. So, Kevin, as you talked about, they just like him, you know, 10, 10, 10 uh, position picks uh, higher. And when you lump in first and third baseman together, that's a that's a big jump, especially in the early rounds. Um, Kyle, like, what's your overall take on any of these guys? Uh, kind of look, all four of them together, you take them however you like. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start with uh, France. To get back to our previous topic, uh, he went to driveline. You know, he, they've been putting out a bunch of videos of him. So that had nothing to do with projections, I swear. I thought that was just... Fun little tie-in, um, but yeah, he's another one of those guys that, that I talk about. He's not, he's not going to be sexy, but he'll give you value. That he's got, he gets on base. He's hitting second or third in a solid lineup. I mean, it's Julio Rodriguez in front of him for sure, and you know, JP Crawford was an on-base machine last year. He might be too. So a lot of RBI opportunities, some run opportunities with the guys behind him, uh, and he's he's uh, averaged a good in the RPOV metrics pretty much across the board in all of them. And he's also still aggressive. So he gets, he really swings. He gets that bat on the ball. He puts balls in play, puts pressure on the defense, drives guys in. Uh, one of the fun kind of stats about France of guys who had uh, average or better decision value while being as aggressive as him, there were only six. Four of them are Fernando Tatis Jr., Corey Seeger, Bryce Harper, and Jeff McNeil. So McNeil doesn't really fit, but like all of those guys are like very good hitters and like that's kind of the company he's keeping there um talking to vlad like he's yeah like you keep dreaming on that season that 40 homer season you like he's got it he did it before and it's just like i don't think he's ever going to be like that like the ideal guerrero that we that we'll always be hoping for but like he's gonna be a very good player he's gonna get you your low to mid thirties homers. He's going to be hitting right in the heart of a solid um, blue Jays lineup. So he'll get you a bunch of counting stats. He's another one of those guys. He's got, he makes good decisions. He makes good contact. He's a little aggressive. Like that's a good combination, especially for putting up average. He's, and he's not a sink in stolen bases. You know, he's not going to give you zero or one. He'll give you Mike, maybe five. It seems and like, like he takes that, a lot of pride in that as well. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just like, you know, give him, give him credit where it's due that like, he's not going to be like an outright minus, like, you know, that, that, that means something at some point, you know, that, that Vlad stolen base might win you your head to head matchup. It, it, uh, it definitely has. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Unexpected. Uh, to touch on Gunner. I love Gunner. I have him in a dynasty league and I am so stoked about that, but like, yeah, this year, I I agree with Kevin like it's only like projections inherently play with the rest of the room that all it takes is one person to be like I really really like him and it's like oh yeah I'm out then it has nothing to do like I love Gunner 
But like, yeah, where he's being drafted, I'm out. Like there are other guys that I'd rather have that provide more value, especially in redraft leagues. Like he's got one of the brightest stars, but I think I haven't seen it quite yet. I think it can happen, but I just haven't seen it. And one of the things with Gunner that I've seen some people talk about, but I don't know that's gotten quite the run. There's some platoon risk. He ran a 75 WRC plus versus lefties and a 141 versus righties. So that's a pretty hardy split. I mean, he's going to face righties more anyway, just because that's how the league shakes out. Um, And it also might be, he probably won't get benched because he actually showed he's pretty solid with the glove. So maybe instead of just riding pine, maybe they shift him down the lineup. But it is just something to to take into account that like, you know, as shiny as most of the profile is, he still has like a couple warts um, that are worth being aware of. And then Muncie, um, I play in a lot of OBP leagues, so I love Muncie. He's a cheat code because his average is always so trash, but he walks so much that it really rebounds. But that's the thing. He is just very bad contact like he is going to be a low average like almost your joey gallo at third base kind of idea of like yeah he'll get on base by walking or he'll get on base by touching home plate after a home run and that's going to kind of be the extent of it and the dodgers is kind of being on the dodgers is especially this season is kind of it's pro and con like of course it's a killer lineup he's going to have a lot of run and rbi opportunities but I mean, they, they signed Shohei, like that's going to push every batter down the lineup, you know? So like, he's going to be batting further and further down the lineup. So that's not going to be quite as impressive. He's not going to get all the art runs and RBI opportunities. Um, yeah, I think a lot of these corner infield has a lot of interesting ones because for the most part, you kind of just punt, um, stolen bases. And so it really helps you kind of focus on like those four categories and like who's providing those in a way and like at the best value. Yeah. Unless you're, you know, go after a Jose Ramirez or, you know, you're confident in a Royce Lewis. Yeah. You're right. Speed's not coming from the corners typically. Um, All right. Well, let's get into the middle infield where you might see some speed uh, here. And we got middle infielders and we have outfielders. We do have to take one more break. I promise it's our last one. We'll be right back. All right. We have our middle infielders here. Uh, Kyle, the guys that you love, and I'm just saying it's you now. It's not even yeah, yeah. projection. It's just, just Kyle. Uh, <laughs> Brennan Rogers uh, is your late round buy with PLV rank of 37. Your DC ADP rank um, in the middle infield positions at 58. Overall ADP of 358. Uh, early round buys here. Jose Altuve, and again, this is the name you're like, oh well, yeah, of course, you know Jose Altuve, second base and all that, but. PLV ranked the third middle infielder uh, of every middle infielder. That's how rankings work uh, compared to the 12th ranked uh, middle infielder off the board in these DC since December 1st. Overall ADP of 40. Um, I'll just keep these together real quick because I want to know, you know, Kyle, like second bait, Kevin talks about it all the time. Uh, We got in, you know, he always quotes Nick as well. You got to have a plan for second base. Uh, and we have our targets, you know, early on. Altuve is in drafts kind of like the edge of that cliff. It's like, all right, well, if you don't go after Altuve, you're probably waiting a while, um, probably at least a, like a round or two. Uh, but PLV is saying that we shouldn't wait until we get to the point of Altuve. Are we pushing Altuve up our draft boards um, with the PLV stamp of approval here? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think he's like one of those guys. It's almost like a, a post hype of like, Oh yeah, he used to be really good. And a lot of people don't realize like, Oh, he's just still been really good. Like he's been so good for so long. I think there may be some fatigue with him, but it is just like, he gets, he's going to hit in the middle of that killer Houston lineup. He's going to get his 600 plate appearances. He steals, he steals high teen stolen bases. Like that's a slight plus there. He's going to get you. He, he can hit power. He's got like high twenties power and Houston's a great uh, park for that right-handed homers. I mean, just ask Alex Bregman. They've basically made a superstar out of his ability to pull the ball into those, uh, into that nice, those seats in left field. Um, and yeah, I mean, he does, he's solid or plus at like all of our like metrics that matter, like for POV, like decision value, contact power, all of them, like no minuses, like he helps you in all categories. He's absolutely the kind of guy that I'm drafting wherever I can, because I don't, I don't understand why people are avoiding him. It feels like. Yeah, I'm not about avoiding, but definitely not pushing him up like this. Like yeah. Jose Altuve, not only third middle infielder, second second base eligible player off the board as far as PLV is concerned. Second only to Mookie Betts, but above Simeon, above Albies, ab- above uh, Nico Horner, who's actually you know pretty high in his own right um, as far as the projections are concerned. Uh, yeah, Kevin, I mean, I mean, is this enough to like? push Altuve at least into that bubble on draft day where we're seeing Simeon and Albies go in the, I mean, in our most recent draft, we we drafted Albies and Simeon back to back in the second round. Uh, it, the first half of the second round as well. Are you bumping Altuve up into that second round discussion? Um, especially as the trend show now, you can, you can probably still wait, but like, are you if you're at the back half of that second round, and both all those other second basemen are off the board, um, you don't want to wait on second baseman. Are you pushing Altuve up for that reason? Yeah, a little bit. I think um, I he he has been one of the second basemen that that I'm considering, but he he's the last one, like you said. Uh, until we're waiting a while, then there's Glaber, then there's another wait. That that that's kind of the way I've been addressing second base so yeah but i was thinking uh, of him more of a mid to late third rounder and this makes me feel a little more comfortable if i think i need to take him at the end of the second or early third round uh and and for the most part here uh all, all four of these guys listed under middle infield um the 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 fact that we have more than one projection system kind of having them come out in about the same spot, but that's not where they're being drafted is reassuring to me. I have both the buys that you have here, Brendan Rogers late and Altuve early. I'm more comfortable and on the fades, I, you know, and unless PLV can figure out a position for Edward Julian to play defensively, <laughs> then, then he's in big trouble. Twin, the uh, twins have Volpe, to do that first. <laughs> it's, it, it's Volpe. It's the, the 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 batting average. I mean, he's projected for the basically the same twenty twenty season he had last year, uh, and with an improved batting average by about twenty points. Unfortunately, that's still under two thirty. So I, I think here 
what we're seeing is just uh, confirmation on multiple projection systems now that these guys are are being drafted in the wrong spot, some early and some late. Yeah, Edward Julian uh, ranked by PLV as the 54th middle infielder, 33rd middle infielder off the board, ADP of 212, uh, but has a PLV projection. Uh, Kyle, you have him in there for just 115 games. Uh, my question about that is, is that injury? Is that not knowing where he's going to play? Is like what, what goes into that? Um, but before you answer that, I'll let you know, Anthony Volpe, as Kevin mentioned, is the early round fade here. PLV ranks him as a 39th middle infielder, but he's being drafted as a 23rd, 130 ADP overall since December 1st. Um, yeah, I mean, focus really here on Julian is like, is, is it all is it all playing time here or is there something else under the hood that we should be concerned about? No, I, I think um, so. He's got, I guess, like the quote unquote issue that Juan Soto had. Of they're so patient and they know the strike zone so well that they'll take a ton of walks and that will take away at bats from them. And like walks aren't going to get you RBIs. Walks aren't going to help your average walks. I mean, you know, they'll get your, your runs every once in a while, but like, so that's guys with high walk rates kind of get depressed a little bit just because they don't have the opportunities to help as many categories as maybe your more aggressive guys that put more balls in play. The flip side and what makes him not want Soto is that he's got pretty rough contact, that he's got pretty minus contact. Um, I mean, that kind of, that's the trade-off with really good decisions. So he's not going to be terrible. He's not going to sink your batting average, but he's not going to really help it a lot either. And so he also doesn't really steal a lot of bases. He didn't have a high stolen base attempt rate last year. So he's kind of three category production, your run Homer RBI fringe average and minus and stolen bases and especially like looking at adps i'd rather have someone like zach nito who's going to give you kind of similar average similar counting stats with more stolen bases and he was going 60 picks later when i looked at it that it's not necessarily that i don't like the profile but it's just like given how adp is shaping up that's not that's just someone that like oh like i can get that somewhere else and i guess in this case kind of better later um Volpe like we we touched on it the 2020s flashy and I mean like those are helpful like those are big like good solid numbers for those stats but it's a pretty empty 2020 like Kevin said the projection's still under a 230 average um our discord was talking about should he be leadoff hitter for the Yankees and I'm just like it's a 307 on base percentage that should be nowhere near your leadoff <laughs> spot and that's like I mean, it was, I think it was under 300 last year that it is just like that, that no, that should be the bottom of the lineup, which like kind of helps his stolen bases. Cause it's not like he's at risk of getting thrown out while Aaron judges at bat kind of thing. So that it is just like, it's like, if you need those counting stats, like if you drafted a super high floor team, this is the kind of guy who can help you like round out your homers and your stolen base at the expense of, kind of a drag in your ratios and your kind of runs RBI stats. And then just to touch on the last one of like a buy for Brendan Rogers of like, especially deep in drafts. This is always an interesting trade-off with projections of do you do the dart throw or do you do the guy who has playing time? And like Brendan Rogers, they were batting him second, third or fourth exclusively in his last 12 games in Colorado. Course is a great park. 
He's got a usable strikeout rate, um, average contact, average power by our metrics. That like that's a very a useful player. Like I think you know at that late in the draft, he's not he's probably not going to be a starter. So maybe you you draft someone who maybe has a little more flash. Maybe they don't make it out of training camp, out of spring training, and then oh okay, I can pick up Brendan Rodgers later. But like he's a guy who's like he'll he'll be solid. And you know that has its pluses, and it also has its minuses. Fair, fair, as as, as most things do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's round it out, guys. In the outfield, obviously there are a whole lot of players. I kept it to four, but there are obviously a lot outfield five outfield leagues. There's a lot of options here. Uh, we, we touched on them a little bit earlier. Jeff McNeil, he is the la- late round buy here. Uh, he could have also been the middle infielder, second base eligibility. He had that uh, going for him as well. PLV rank in the outfield, 31st outfielder, as opposed to being drafted as a 72nd outfielder, overall ADP of 297. Uh, honorable mention of Andrew Benintendi, who is the 52nd PLV ranked outfielder compared to the ADP rank of 90th outfielder off the board. Uh, but then your early round by Mike Trout. And for me, Kevin, Mike Trout is that guy that you were talking about with Vlad. He's like, he's just there. You can't help but stare at him. Like, what do you do here? But he is the PLV ranked 12th outfielder. He's being drafted as the 17th outfielder off the board on average, 75 ADP. Uh, and then right into your late round, the fades, the late round fade, uh, Ezekiel Duran. And literally, Ezekiel Duran could have been at any of the positions um, as well. <laughs> he could have been our corner infielder fade. He could have been my middle infielder fade. Stuck him in the outfield here. Uh, 161st outfielder off the board. I'm sorry, uh, by way of PLV. And then the 80s, but he's being drafted as the 86th outfield eligible player. ADP of 354. And then your early round fade. I'm curious to get your take on this. Uh, this one, Kyle, is uh, Lane Thomas. A lot of people talking about Lane Thomas in general. He is being drafted as such with that popularity. It's a 23rd outfielder off the board. And a PLV ranked him as the 39th. Now, this is the only one where I cheated. Technically, not an ADP within 100. ADP of 111. Close enough. Worth talking about here. Uh, Kyle, take it in any order you want, but I want to know why we, you know, sh- should you know why people should stop talking about Lane Thomas compared well at least what PLV says about it yeah well I'll, I'll go ahead and save him for last I'll finish with a flourish um but yeah we'll jump in I mean Jeff McNeil is what he is he's going to be a huge plus for your average he's got uh plus plus contact by our PLV context adjusted contact metric he swings a lot so kind of like we were talking about He's going to put the bat to the ball. He's going to put that ball into play. He's going to get stats that way. Um, and he should bat around the top of that Mets lineup. Um, he's, I know I, I talked a little bit about roster construction and how uh, projections can help you figure out like, okay, these guys bring value, but in different shapes that if you have someone like a Max Muncy, Jeff McNeil is like your perfect complement of like, he's a guy who can help buoy that average sink that Max Muncy is, and he'll chip in a couple stolen bases. He'll have your other counting stats. And so like combining them, you get this like Franken player that is like two pretty solid players at their draft position. It's just, they come with distinct warts and distinct pluses. Um, 
we'll jump into uh, trout next. I mean, it always it always feels good to be a uh, buying trout like that. It's it's crazy to be like, oh, I don't I don't know about Mike Trout. Like he's he's Mike Trout. He's like one of the greatest of all time. But you know, it's it's tailed off a little bit. Injuries have curtailed kind of the all of those crazy stats he's putting up. I was shocked. I had to double check. He's, you know, putting up like 370 OBPs now when he used to be the OBP god. And it's like, and that's his thing is he makes great decisions and he has great power, but he actually kind of has fringy contact, not too bad with how good of his swing decisions are. Um, His, I will say his playing time is going to come down a little bit in the second revision, just factoring in those kind of um, nagging injuries a little bit more. But I think one of the things is people might be fading him more because, oh, well, Shohei's gone. You know, that's going to, that lineup's so much worse without Shohei. I mean, the Angels still kind of have a sneaky lineup. I mean, Nolan Shenwell is going to be on base all the time and only ever on first because he has no power. And then, like, Zach Nito's kind of an interesting player that there are, like, some fun guys around there. It's not all doom and gloom as much as, uh, maybe some Twitter memes will have you think that the angels lineup is, but, uh, and then he doesn't steal really anymore. But like one of the ways I think about it is he gives you a profile. that's pretty similar to Pete Alonzo. He's going to have a better average, like maybe three fewer home runs and like the RBI that go with it. But at the same time, you're going to get mid nineties runs in RBI. You're going to get mid to high thirties homers. You're going to get a really solid average. And it's just like, would I rather have, uh, Alonzo in his like second round ADP or would I rather wait for trout and then fill in later, maybe double tap trout and Vlad Guerrero, you know, to speak of another buy from earlier. Like I, I might lean more on that and I'll, uh, now I'll go into Duran and then Thomas. So Duran it's, it's where's the playing time. Like, like you said, he's eligible everywhere, but like I'm looking through that Rangers roster now, second, third, short, all wrapped up. Like those are dynamite guys probably first base two with Lau. Like, I think he's probably got that on lock. The outfield is going to be legit because it's going to be a full season of Evan Carter. I'm betting that Langford is going to be up, if not at the start of the year, it's going to be early. He's not a center fielder. Is kind of a league average bat worth DHing? I don't think so. And even projecting it all out, it's a, a per 600 plate appearances. That's a 2010 homer stolen base pace like that's is that like really worth dreaming on you know like that's fine like you can get guys like that in way like who will do it in less time around when he's going so like i just don't see like a lot of upside i guess to to um his profile right now and then yeah to wrap lane thomas i mean he nearly went 30 20 last year that's awesome that was super helpful it did take him almost 700 plate appearances to do it. So he really accumulated a lot of value, but over a lot of time he'll bat at the top of his lineup, but it's nationals. That's a bad lineup. So like that also has its own trade-offs. He's got average kind of everything, decision value, contact power. Um, That's useful, but like top 180p, I don't think that profile really lines up. And then kind of two of the guys that I was looking at, um, you can get a pretty close approximation in 40 picks later in TJ Friedel in Cincinnati with a much more interesting lineup, a much better home park, 
Or if you want to trade um, maybe some playing time and homers, but get back a bunch of stolen bases, uh, Jaron Duran, 80 picks later that like, I really like him this year and they give a similar shape with definitely more of the speed in Duran's favor. And you're not giving up as much in the power department as you might think. Yeah. When you have a guy that, like you mentioned, kind of relies on the volume and yeah, you could still get that volume, uh, but also lots of things can happen that can derail that volume. Um, it was definitely on the, on the extreme side. Not We can't all be Marcus Simeon. We play every <laughs> single year, every single day, and vice versa. Uh, Kevin, any uh, what, which one of these names stand out to you the most in their respective uh, fields? I agree with everything Kyle just said here, uh, for the most part. I'm not as big on Jeff McNeil as a, a lot of people are. I understand uh, it's, it's nice batting average and some runs scored late in a draft. Uh, it's not completely empty, but it's pretty close. It's closer than people want to admit. I think uh, he's never even gotten to half of the 23 home runs he got in 2019, and I don't think he ever will, uh, and he's not projected for it. So it is pretty much empty batting average with Jeff McNeil at pick 300. Uh, that can help a team, though. It's it, it's It's got its qualities. Uh, Andrew Benatendi, I don't think we're going to see the power come back either. I completely agree on Mike Trout. It's it's it, it really is a gut call. Nobody knows how many games and therefore how many plate appearances we're going to get out of Mike Trout. Everybody knows the ones we do get are going to be awesome. So it it's wherever you're comfortable with Mike Trout. I don't think I have him on a team, and I've been looking like that sixth round is just crazy to me. But I don't have him on a team, so yeah. it must not be that crazy to me, right? <laughs> There's something to be said too about. That when he is hurt, you know you're not going to play him, and you can supplement right. that playing time. I used to say I, this I about Stanton like though too, we... and it doesn't always work out because he, he could be. I mean, Stanton's got to a point where he might just miss two or three games in a row and not go on the IL. Trout's if he misses time, he's on the IL. Like he'll mm -hmm. he'll be right. out for you know the two week period. So and you now know we're going to have bidding supplement. wars on Mike Trout going forward in draft season. It sounds like. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I should have him on more teams. I, I really do. I couldn't agree more on, on Duran with what Kyle had to say. However, I, if he's not the one that gets hurt, he's going to, by default, just fall into the plate appearances, I think, because somebody's going to be hurt. Probably a couple of guys. He plays everywhere and well enough. I, I I think for where he's going, Duran could work out. I mean, that's the last round of a a 12 team, 30 round draft where he's being drafted. And I think he can work out fine there. And and Lane Thomas, a little recency bias, and then everybody's pulling back. And like I said, for the most part, everything Kyle had to say about all these guys, I agree with, especially that. Mike Trout's not going to keep going in the sixth round, is he? I, I guess he is if if we keep talking about him like this. I think I only have him in one spot. It was our last draft. I'm pretty sure I got him in the sixth round. So it was yeah, one of those things where, where you're he's... like, maybe I'll get him in the fifth. Oh, uh, no, I'll just wait. All right, now I'm not. The problem is that's where I'm <laughs> taking pitching because I don't take pitching sure. early. So that... that's my problem. That affects yeah. it a lot. 
I'm sure that's the case with most people when they're they have a plan in place for their draft. They know like fifth, sixth round is I might double pack. I might get my SP one, SP two in those rounds if I go top yeah. heavy hitter. Um, you can't turn. It's too late to turn back if that's how you started your draft. You kind of have to, especially in a fifteen. Yeah, uh, and that's actually pretty rare to see somebody wait until the fifth round to get their SP one, but it, it's happened. But you just have that that one little tear as you keep passing Mike Trout and drafting <laughs> someone else beneath him. You're just like, I really want to, but I just I can't. It doesn't make sense. Uh, we're only in the fifth round. Everything makes sense <laughs> if you want it enough. Um, all right. Well, we finally got through all these players. Uh, Kevin, I know you said that uh, you might have already done your final thought, but do you want to echo that or throw anything else out there? Now's the time. No, I think so. I think that was perfect. It fit right in with what we're talking about. And like I like I always say, it's 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 not things people don't know. It's with just reminders because there's so many things we're trying to keep track of. We forget once in a while. All right, Kyle, thank you so much for joining us, man. Uh, for those who stuck around to the bitter end of the episode before PitchCon has started, uh, give them a little taste of what they can expect, at least out of you at PitchCon and then anything else that uh, you might be working on on the side. Yeah, so I'm currently signed up for two sessions right now in PitchCon. I'm going to be doing uh, the the next stage of POV stats. So that's going to be covering all the cool stuff that goes on the leaderboards that we're going to be hosting more on the site now. That Some of that covers um, some of the off-season additions. So like the hitter heat maps that I've kind of mentioned here before. So you can really get a chance to analyze players with a lot more depth um, than maybe in, a, in other places you'll find. Um, I've been putting out new stuff. I am always working on something right now leading up to it. So yeah, give me a follow. I'm at Blandalytics on Twitter. I just posted something today, like a poll for which, which viz data viz that people like. So yeah, follow me there. Um, if you're in the PL discord, awesome. Yeah. If you chat me and ask me a question or have like an edit more often than not, like I will do everything I can to implement it. Like that's where I get some of my best ideas is just from watching people banter back and forth on our discord. So yeah, I love that. And then speaking to my second session, um, I'm going to be on a projections panel and like how to use projections when drafting. And so it's going to be covering a lot of kind of what we discussed today, as far as balancing the value of playing time, depending on where are you in the draft and, you know, is that playing time actually beneficial or is it harmful? Like we were talking about with Shay Langelier. So there'll be a lot of like interesting back and forth um, with, you know, some of the other speakers on the panel. I don't know if it's public yet, so I'll let that be a surprise. Um, but yeah, super exciting stuff. Watch PitchCon. Yeah. Hopefully I'm, Hopefully I'm not on too many things. I said I'd volunteer to do whatever I'm available for, but uh, I don't. I don't have the the vocal stamina that you guys do as, as podcasters. Say, so you get the you know, plus two not, hour marker, and you're still with us. So I yeah, that. I I found I can I can ramble a lot, especially when I get talking about numbers. But uh, <laughs> yeah, exciting stuff, especially kind of the week ahead and and our our off season plans leading up to um, PLX and the new 2024 season. Yeah. I mean, along with all the stuff that already come out, I think a lot of people forget all the things you've already put out, um, especially on the PL 
Pro dashboard uh, between the hitter apps and the pitcher apps. All the things you guys heard Kyle talking about, the you know contactability, decision value, stuff like that, that can all be found right on in those apps. It's super easy, super fun to look through um, and kind of see how those go. And if you follow Kyle on the Twitter, you'll see plenty of screenshots of that. I love that. Basically, your response to people on Twitter is just usually just a screenshot of like a batter's decision value or like aggressiveness or anything like that. It's just (laughs) like, this is my response. (laughs) I think I said this to Vo, but it was just like, these apps are like my thought process. Like that was the thing is I'm like, this is just how I think about hitters and pitchers and stuff. And so it's more of like, I now have like a reference. So... (laughs) kind of I can have opinions now about like everybody and it's just like and you can see them you know which is cool unless I'm in a fantasy league against you in which case it's like everybody knows like oh well oh yeah you know, his decision value is really good or you know oh well, he's got a really bad slider and it's like dang it <laughs> I've taught you too much yeah um, yeah all right well guys that is gonna wrap it up for episode 147 of on the wire you could follow myself on the twitter at 80 grade that's all spelled out kevin is at hasting kevin of course follow the pod itself at on the wire pod i once again like to thank our guest kyle bland for joining us this week you follow him at blandalytics on the twitter machine better yet catch him in the pl discord get full access to the plv projections all those apps and all those great stuff and everything else coming down the pipeline by signing up for PL Pro at PitcherList.com. After all that, I am Adam Howe. On behalf of Kevin Hastings, thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye.